Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. Book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 8. Welcome everyone, my name is Tim Harris, I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm delighted to be the pastor here. Welcome all of you in Cafe Worship, love you guys so much, love everything happening back there. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. If you're joining us by audio or video podcast as well, thank you for finding us, and, uh, and we're delighted to have you with us. Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be in the Word today. Uh, before I begin the sermon itself, uh, we have a special presentation for you. I want to introduce to you a young man in our church, Brian Chaffin. Uh, we will call him Brian the Magnificent. So we'll give Brian the Magnificent a round of applause today. Brian, come on up. Brian, take it away. Okay, so uh, before we get started, I'm going to need a volunteer from the audience. Anyone? I mean, don't all rush at once. <laughs> we need a volunteer, or we will volunteer you. Linda Hunter, the volunteer for the morning. Give Linda there we Hunter go. A hand. Linda Hunter, come on down. Linda's running. It's just like Price is Right. Come on down. <laughs> Linda Hunter. Come up right here. Linda, come stand beside Brian the Magnificent. No, this is going to be good. We're gonna... You've seen the trick where we saw the lady in half. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing. Here Something along the same line. So before we get started, I'm going to have you tell me where to stop, and I'm going to cut the deck one more time right here. Okay. And then I'm just going to have you choose any card that you want. Okay, now you can look at it, but we're going to save that until the end. Now, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to have you think of any number between 1 and 100. Okay, but don't, don't say it out loud. You thinking? Okay. You thinking? I've got it. You got it? Okay, okay. Okay. And before we go on, just tell everyone what it was really quick. 79. 79. That's actually my favorite number. <laughs> <laughs> 79. Yeah. Okay. So 79. Okay. Next, um, let's have you think of, let's do any color. So any color that you want. Favorite color. Favorite color. Favorite color. Just think. Okay. Got it. Make sure it's something I can spell. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Like red or blue, okay. You thinking it? I'm thinking it. All right. I can feel you thinking, Linda. I can feel you thinking over here. You got it? That's our color right there? That's our color, I think, maybe, we'll see. Go ahead. Black. That is my favorite color. Black. That is really ironic. Okay, for the last thing, I want you to look at your card, and I just want you to think of it very intently. Don't let me see it. Let me see it. All right. All right. All right. I'll think it with you. Okay. <laughs> you think it? No, you're going to mess it up? Think it. Think it. You're thinking okay. Frosty Freeze, Linda. Now cut that out. You're thinking Frosty Freeze. <laughs> you got to think your card. Okay. Right. And go on ahead and tell everyone what your card was. Two of diamonds. Two of diamonds. Okay. So Tim has those. And I want you to read them out one by one. We'll do them in order. 79. Here's one, yeah. 
79, the number 79, pretty awesome. Black. Yeah, black. That's two of diamonds. Two of diamonds, yeah. <laughs> two of diamonds. There you go, Brian the Magnificent. <laughs> Linda the Magnificent. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That is awesome, man. You know how he did it? It's magnificent, isn't it? Yeah. Would you not love to have power like that? I mean, the power to read minds or power to defy the laws of physics and nature, the power to know what Linda Hunter is thinking. James Hunter would do anything for, for, for that kind of power. What would you do with supernatural power? What would you trade in order to have supernatural power. It brings us to Acts chapter 8, the story of a man whose name is Simon the Magnificent. If you've never read this story in the book of Acts, this is amazing, very, very amazing and wonderful. And it lets us talk about the nature of the Spirit's power and the nature of salvation. Acts chapter 8, let's start in verse 4 together. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now remember that as Jesus ascended into heaven uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, you shall be my witnesses where in Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember how Jesus sort of, and Rod talked about this last week, how the, the, the mission, the great commission would sort of ripple out in that way, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So notice what happens here in Acts chapter 8 as the gospel does exactly what Jesus has said is going to spread. And this is the beginning of the spread into Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, let's back up a little bit. What's making them scatter? This is important. What causes them to scatter? Go back and read verse 3. What's causing the believers to leave Jerusalem and Judea and now move into Samaria? What's, what's promoting their scattering? It's persecution persecution. As the church grows from the very beginning, the enemies of Christ begin to persecute the Christians and they begin to be scattered throughout the world. And that's what drives the Great Commission. You understand that? We'd love it to be just simply our passion for the gospel, but often it's the persecution that pushes us into places where the gospel needs to be spread. So believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. 
When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you. Now, actually, what he says is not that nice. What he says is you and your money can go to hell. That's what Peter says. That's what he says. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. When I was a kid, for a while they advertised on TV, you know, those, you know, only on TV special ads, and they were advertising for a while what they called the, the TV magic set. The, the TV magic set. Now, you got to understand, as a kid growing up in Matlock, a redneck kid, I never got out of the house. I never saw people. I mean, I was just a, a country kid. Uh, that TV magic set was going to be my ticket out of this hillbilly town understand I was just a kid but I can imagine myself getting that TV magic set and becoming something amazing becoming an actual magician because you all know chicks dig guys in capes and top hats you understand so that was gonna be my plan I was gonna do birthday parties I was gonna be on America's Got Talent whatever I, I was gonna be a, a big magician so I, I saved my allowance money I eventually sent my money in shipping the handling and all of that added uh, the TV magic set as it was advertised on TV was amazing. It, it came, it came, listen, with a magic wand. It, it came with a wand. I, I mean, that's amazing. I, that in itself would be worth the $8.99 plus shipping and handling. The, just the wand. But it also came with a magic pitcher that you could put milk in it, and then you'd make like a, a funnel. They did this on the commercial. You make a funnel out of newspaper, pour the milk in, and then voila, you know, the milk disappears. How cool would that be? You understand? Magic milk pitcher, a magic wand. It came with a pair of Houdini handcuffs. You understand? I wanted all of this. I, I wanted that power because in the commercial, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. The kid in the commercial had on a top hat and a cape, and it was smoke, and it was fire, and everybody's going, whoa. And I wanted to be that guy. I wanted that power. So I paid the $8.99 plus shipping and handling. I waited by the mailbox. I mean, it took forever, forever for that ever to arrive in, in, in the post office, but finally it arrives, my TV magic kit. I rush to my room, I open the box, oh, you understand? And I start looking, I mean, it's all there, the magic wand is there, the magic picture is there, and then this whole book of instructions, a magic deck of cards, I mean, I, my life is going to be changed forever. But that's the day I realized something about the TV magic kit and probably something important about life. 
There was no magic in that box. They were all tricks. You understand? They were all tricks. The magic pitcher of milk was lame. It was a trick. And the only people I could amaze with that magic pitcher would be dumb people. You, you under, understand? There was no magic there. All of it was just a box of tricks. And I could read the book and I could practice maybe and, and maybe get pretty good at it. But, but the disappointment for me was simply understanding that even if I became a great magician, even if I became an amazing, amazing magician, I was still going to know that I was fake. Understand? It was all fake. And even a fake magician at the end of the day is still a fake. Which brings us to Simon the Magnificent. It's, it's kind of amazing to understand that even back in the ancient world, the, the, there were guys like this. He was a professional magician. Isn't that just amazing? And apparently very, very famous and, 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 and very well-to-do. He had made a lot of money as a magician, but everything changed when the gospel came to town. Now, as I said, the gospel is spreading primarily because of persecution. The, the, the Christians begin to be persecuted, and they're fleeing for their lives. They're fleeing for a place where they can worship and, and, and do so without any sort of uh, threat of harm. And, and that threat of persecution begins to scatter them. And, and among those scattered is a man named Philip. Now, in Acts chapter 8, we've already heard the name of Philip. Who is Philip? You remember? Your Sunday school teachers would be so proud of you at, at, at this moment. Who was Philip? Philip was one of the first deacons. Philip is one of the first deacons. So this is kind of interesting. It's, it's deacon ministry here. Philip, one of the early deacons, he goes to Samaria, and Philip preaches the gospel there. Now, what happens when Philip preaches the gospel? This is a pretty awesome deacon here. Verse 5, Philip went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and do what? See the miraculous signs he did. This is Philip. He's a deacon, right? Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I just want to stop right here and point that out. When the gospel comes, when Jesus is lifted up, he brings real power and true joy. There is a demonstration of power like people had never seen, and there is the experience of joy like people had never known. That's what happens when Jesus comes to town. That's what happens when Jesus comes into your life. That's what happens when the name of Jesus is lifted up. The question becomes, why is true power and real joy lacking in so many of our lives? You can't miss the fact that in this passage, the overwhelming thing that impresses everybody is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in believers. It is so impressive. It is so overwhelmingly obvious that this is what they can't miss. They know that something real has happened. They know that there is real power in the name of Jesus because that power is on display in the people who take the name of Jesus. 
So my question for us, and I'm not asking it as someone outside this church, I'm asking it as somebody inside this church, where's the power? Is there anything about us that would impress people with the Spirit's power? When Simon sees what Philip and Peter and John can do, he says, I'll trade anything for that kind of power. Now, Simon has problems, and we're going to talk about his problems, but I'm telling you that the fact that he's impressed with the power of the Spirit, there's nothing wrong with that. That ought to be something that happens all the time. There is great power in the name of Jesus, and there is true joy when he comes to town. So why are you so sour? Why is our church so powerless? I don't see any great miracles happening here. Do you understand? There is the great miracle about once a week of a man putting 300 people to sleep at the same time. But I'm becoming less impressed with that as the weeks go by. The gospel is preached. And people get set free. And lives are changed in such a way where there is no question that this is real power. This is something real. This is something that only God can do. When is the last time at Woodburn Baptist Church something happened that only God could do? Jesus brings real power and true joy. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one. He is Simon the Magnificent. I don't know how he started out. He probably started out like me. He saw the ad for the TV magic kit on TV sometime after Gilligan's Island, and he was hooked on that. I don't know, probably something like that. He got started learning a few tricks and and practicing them so that he could amaze his friends, amaze his family. He probably started out in his own backyard with the dogs and the cats, and then eventually he he did his first birthday party. He played somebody's birthday party and and did magic tricks there, and and he did pretty well, so eventually it was was a bigger birthday party, and, and probably his life changed on the day he went on Samaria's Got Talent. You understand? Something like that. And, and he got a bigger audience, and people began to see what he could do. And maybe that's when he started calling himself Simon the Great and, and really started playing up the whole act. And, and I would imagine at some point people started putting like five-minute clips of his magic tricks on YouTube. And, and then those tricks started getting like a million hits on the Internet. And from that point on, Simon the Magnificent, you understand, he really becomes somebody famous. By the time Deacon Philip comes to town to preach the gospel, Simon is the biggest thing in town. He really is the biggest thing in town. His tricks are absolutely amazing, and people don't even think of them as tricks. People say that he's really somebody great. People say, you know, this this guy's spooky. This guy has actual power from God. That's what they say. They've never seen anything like Simon until Philip comes to town. Understand? And then Philip comes to town, and all of a sudden, people are a little bit less interested, you know, when Simon the Magnificent is able to, you know, pull a card, pick a card, any card, and then read your mind. I mean, that seems less impressive when you see the real power of the Holy Spirit on display. The blind begin to see, the lame begin to walk, and sinners get set free. All of a sudden, pulling a guinea pig out of your back pocket isn't that exciting anymore. 
So people begin to pay less attention to Simon and more attention to Philip and ultimately more attention to Jesus. The people begin to be captured by the power of Jesus. Verse 12. Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, catch all of that. The people believed what? Philip's message of good news, the gospel. They believed the gospel concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So they believe, but they don't just believe anything. They believe something very specific. They believe the gospel. They believe the good news of the coming kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Okay, new believers, the gospel is spreading now into Samaria. That's great. But now, zero in with me, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. What are we supposed to make of that? Now, everybody else, they believe the message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. We're told what they believe, and we're told something about their baptism. But then it just says, Simon, he believed too, and Simon got baptized. My question is, well, what really happened with Simon? Did he become a Christian? Did he get saved like everybody else got saved? Did, did he believe like everybody else believed? Did his baptism mean anything? The way the text describes it, it, it makes it sound like what happened with Simon was different. Maybe something happened, but, but did he really get saved? Here, here, here's the thing, and, and this is where it, it really gets sort of important for you to listen. Because what I'm about to say right here is something you probably haven't heard in church in a while. But I just need to say that it's very, very possible that you can believe and not be saved. You may believe and not be saved. The scripture says Simon believed. He, he believed something. He, he may have believed about Jesus. I don't know. He, he believed. Something happened in Simon's head. He believed something. And something happened with his body. He actually got baptized. But did he get saved? Because these are outward things. These are things that you can say happened to him. But did salvation happen to him? And I think as you read the story through, it becomes obvious that although Simon believed something or said he believed something, and even though Simon got baptized in the creek the same day everybody else got baptized in the creek, Simon did not actually experience salvation in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the salvation in Jesus Christ is not that difficult. It's not the kind of thing where if you come to Jesus with a, with a repentant and honest heart, you're going to miss it. It's not like that. It's a free gift for all who is received. John 3, 16, whosoever believes, that's what the Bible says, shall, shall have eternal life. It's not that difficult. But, but at the very same time, you may believe and not be saved. Look at some verses with me. Open your Bibles first to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 23. This is in the early ministry of Jesus, and notice what it says. And it's the same kind of context. People are fascinated with the miraculous signs that Jesus would do. John chapter 2, verse 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. 
But Jesus didn't trust them. Interesting. Because of the miraculous signs, people began to trust in Jesus, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what was in a man's heart. See, Jesus looks at the heart. Jesus looks at the heart. Now turn over to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10. Keep your finger there. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, we're not talking about saying magic words, like there's a magic prayer, a sinner's prayer that you can pray, and if you say these words, this makes you a Christian. No, but, but the confession of faith is to say that Jesus is Lord. To, to say those words would mean that they would be true words. In other words, something genuine has shifted in your life so that now Jesus uh, is given the, the authority to command your life. You recognize that he is above you, you are beneath him, and now you surrender to him. You understand? So it's not just saying some magic words, say Jesus is Lord and you can go to heaven. No, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your, say it, heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You understand that in in Scripture and in reality, genuine salvation requires something deep and inward happens for you. Something deep and inward. There is a shift in your heart. It's not just a shift in the way that you think. You understand? It's not just something in your head where you hear some, some things about Jesus, some ideas at church, and you think, yeah, I guess I believe that. I believe in Jesus. You understand? You may believe and still not be saved. Some of you hear me every single Sunday. You, you listen on the internet or you, you attend here on, on Sundays and you believe everything I say. You agree with me. And you might even say amen out loud or in your heart. You, you agree with me. But that doesn't mean that your agreement with me has ever translated into something deep inside your heart. The allegiances of your heart have never shifted. You've never surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You understand? So if he's not your Lord, if you've never surrendered to to the point that he now has the authority to command your life, then understand, you you can't have a part with him. There's not going to be a written exam at the end of this thing where you've just learned all the facts. You can believe and, and not be saved. Simon, it says, believed and was baptized. I mean, something happened way back then. Something happened, but it wasn't salvation. So, I'm just begging you to examine your heart. Examine your heart. But Brother Tim, I, I remember now, way back when I was a kid in the 1920s, I, I, I went down front during Bible school, me and all my friends, and, and I was baptized the following Sunday. Yeah, yeah. You followed your friends that day, and to tell the truth, you're still following your friends. But have you ever learned to follow Jesus? Understand? Because it's not about following a crowd anywhere. It's about following Jesus. Have you ever come to Jesus? Has anything ever deep and inward shifted in your heart that changes the man or the woman that you are? Simon himself believed, it says, and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. 
He, he was fascinated with the power of Jesus, and as it turns out, he wants the power of Jesus, but he doesn't seem to want Jesus. You can't be a Christian until you want Jesus. You understand? He was amazed by the signs. Amazed by the signs. You ever tried to talk to a baby, a toddler? It's always fun. Uh, other day I was with a baby, a little girl, and I was trying to show her something in the distance. So I was saying, look, look. You know, I was, I was pointing like this. I was pointing, look, look. And the baby's just going. <laughs> you know, I'm pointing like this. Why am I pointing? What's the finger out? The, the pointing finger is a sign. I wanted her to look past my finger to what my finger was pointing at. Look, I was saying, look, her mama was over there. Look, look. But the baby's just, you know, looking at my finger and fascinated by, by my finger. You understand? This is Simon here. The signs, the great miracles are, are intended to point to Jesus. They're supposed to point to Jesus, but Simon never looks past the miracles. He never sees past the finger. You understand? He's focused on that. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them what? Money. Money. Understand, all the tricks he ever had, he bought them. You know, he would make that trip down to Gatlinburg, to the, to the magic store there, and he would buy himself a bag of tricks. I mean, everything's for sale, and magicians, they trade secrets like this, and you pay me money, and I'll show you how to cut the lady in half. You understand? And so he just assumes that whatever the secret is, whatever the trick is to laying your hands on people and having them speak in tongues or having the, the blind see the lame walk, Simon just assumes that that, that secret's probably for sale. So he says, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, you can totally want the right thing for the wrong reason. Now, it's the right thing to want the power of the Spirit. That's the right thing. He ought to want that. But he wants it for the wrong reason. Why does Simon want that power? Because he still wants to be something great. You understand that? He's always called himself someone great. And now he assumes that this can only enhance his greatness. If he can do that, he will once more be the greatest show in town. At this point, Philip and Peter and John and the, the, the Christians, they're sort of taken over. They've gotten all the attention. Simon wants to be the greatest show in town again. He still wants to be something great. And he assumes that if he can somehow get this power of Jesus, that Jesus will be like a genie in a bottle for him. You with me? Just sort of assumes that if he can get that power, he can have that power inside his little black hat, then all of a sudden there'll be almost nothing he can't do. He still wants to be something great. But you understand? Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus did not come and send the Holy Spirit to make you and me something great. He came to expose us as sinners. We are not something great. We like to think of ourselves as something pretty important. Some of us are very, very puffed up with the sense of our own importance. But, but when you actually begin to understand who Jesus is, 
When you begin to understand his authority, his greatness, his glory, when you begin to understand that he and he alone is God, all of a sudden you can't feel so big about yourself anymore. There is a humbling that happens when you truly meet Jesus. There is a falling to your knees in submission and surrender. There is a genuine acknowledgement of who he is and therefore who you are. You see, this is what never happens for Simon. He wants to be somebody great, and if he can just get Jesus in his back pocket, then Simon figures his life will be set from then on. You understand? He still wants all the same things. There's been no actual change. He's actually interested. He's interested in the gospel. He's interested in Jesus. He's interested in this power. But he's not converted. That's kind of the old word, conversion. Well, what's conversion? It's a word for change. When salvation is genuine, there's change. Because there's no way you couldn't be changed by the power of Jesus coming into your life. Brother Tim, you can't judge a person's heart. You don't know a person's heart. You don't even know Simon's heart. And you're right, I don't know Simon's heart. I don't really know what happens on that day that it says he believes and gets baptized. But all I know is that after that moment of believing and being baptized, nothing changed for him. He's still the same guy. He's still the same man. That's why Peter replies in verse 20, may your money be destroyed with you. Your money will take you straight to hell, he says. For thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. The word there is straight. Your heart's not straight. In other words, you're the same old crooked man. You see, that's how we know. I can't see in your heart. You can't see in my heart. But we can see each other's actions. I I can see your life. And you can see my life. and, And our lives pretty much tell everything about what's inside of us. Some of us try to put on a pretty good show. But by now, most everybody who knows you knows that, uh, whole lot of it's fake. I mean, you may feel like a really good person and you may have a good reputation and you may amaze people with how generous and neighborly you are, but deep inside, don't you still know you're fake? You say that you're a Christian and you talk about way back in the day when you believed and were baptized, but uh, tell me about everything that's happened since then. And, And tell me about the change because my hunch is a whole lot of people, that they, they, they say, Lord, Lord, that they, they claim to be Christians, but they have the same crooked heart. Are you that person? Because here's the thing. When Jesus comes into your life, there's real power and true joy. Do you have that power and joy in your heart? When, when Jesus really comes to town, you understand? You're not going to want the same things. Jesus changes your desires. He changes your your values. He changes your priorities. Have you ever had your life turned upside down like that by Jesus? Because if you have not, I'm not sure you have any part in him. What about the change? What about the conversion? 
Simon the Magnificent believes and gets baptized, but he doesn't get saved. And in the end, Peter tells him straight to his face, you're going to hell. Simon the Magnificent. Verse 24, last thing we know about him, he says this, pray for me, pray for me. Pray to the Lord for me. Again, Peter's just told him that he's going to hell. He says, pray for me. Pray for me that that never happens. But I guess that's the clincher right there. Um, If someone doesn't want to go to hell, he needs to pray for himself. Understand? He needs to pray for himself. Some of you right now, you put all your faith in the fact that your grandma prays for you. Guess what? Your grandma might be going to heaven. I don't say anything about you. Your grandma can't pray you into heaven. Some of you think, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I always went to church. My parents took me to church. Your parents may be fine Christian people, but that doesn't mean that you are a fine Christian person. You understand? You don't borrow faith. You don't borrow salvation. It's not passed down through the family. If you are going to experience the saving power of Jesus, you will have to come to Jesus for yourself. You will have to say a prayer for yourself. You will have to call upon his name for yourself. Something must shift inside your private heart. Pray for me, Simon says, and I'm sure Peter did, but if Simon never learned to pray for himself, then Simon and his money split hell wide open with no escape. So let me remind you of a few verses. And with this, I'll call you to response. Romans chapter 10, verses 10 and 13. It is by believing in your, say it, heart. It's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Now, as we're born, none of us are right with God. We're all sinners. Some of us, by human standards, are worse than others, but it doesn't change the fact that from God's standard, we all fall short, and that means that we're all sinners. None of us are made right with God. And you aren't made right with God by by turning over a new leaf and trying harder to be a better person, because that's the thing. You can't be good enough. You can be better than other people. You can be better than most, but you can never be as good as you would have to be to be made right with God. You have to do this through faith, by believing in your heart. Something happens in your heart, and you're made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I know some of you agree with that. You agree with it so much that you think, you know, I need to do that. I'm going to do that one day. Well, I'm telling you, until you do this, you are not right with God and you are not saved. And you and everything about you is going to go straight to hell. That's what the Bible says. And that doesn't change until the moment you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. It's, it's not complicated. It's not the sort of thing where you could earnestly apply yourself to this and miss it. When you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, when you surrender in your heart, you will be saved, but not until, not until. Simon thought he was somebody great. He was one of the most famous people in Samaria and probably one of the most wealthy But none of that was going to matter because when it came right down to it, he did not know Jesus. 
anything else we can say about you if you don't know Jesus your soul is in peril but the promise of the gospel is whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved I'm inviting you I'm begging you to call upon his name believe in your heart let his power change your life pray with me Jesus I have preached I am sure that I can't preach like Philip or John or Peter but I preached the power comes from your spirit the convicting power the saving power the changing power it's not in me it's not in the preaching it's in the spirit so Holy Spirit will you not fall down upon this place now will you not convict hearts Will you not show sinners their ways? Will you not, by your grace and mercy, call people to salvation in you today, Lord Jesus? I pray for men and women in this house who have believed and perhaps been baptized but never truly surrendered their hearts to you. Never experienced that saving, changing, transforming power of the gospel. Lord Jesus, I pray that today is the day when once and for all they give their hearts to you, surrendering their lives to you. Lord, we're convicted as believers that we have this amazing power inside our lives, but there's nothing in our lives that points to supernatural power. Our lives look so much like the lives of everybody else in the world. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would learn to want your power, that we would want to learn to have your control over us so that the life we live in the world is a life that will reflect and radiate the power and beauty of the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, let your name be lifted up in this place, and will you not draw people to you today? We pray these things in the name of Jesus, but for our own sake.